near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of Melanie from Enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Melanie says... I was taken to the emergency room around 7 a.m. with extreme pain, headache and body aches, nausea and disorientation. I was sedated for most of the day while the medical personnel ran tests to try to determine my illness. Later that night, I was admitted and transferred to the seventh floor of the medical center. I was very disoriented, in pain and unable to keep any food down all day. A nurse came into my room to check on me around 8 p.m. She asked me how I felt, and she seemed upset after checking my monitors. I told her I was tired and that I just wanted to sleep. She grabbed my hand and told me not to go to sleep. I told her to leave me alone because I was tired and turned my head to the side. As I turned my head away from her, I saw a bunch of people running into the room out of the corner of my eye. Next, I was near the window that was about three feet away from the side of my bed. I seemed to be at the same height that I would have been as if I was standing on the windowsill, but when I looked down, I didn't have a body. I knew I was out of my body, but it didn't scare me and I felt better than the pain I had been in all day. I could see the medical personnel working on me, but I really didn't pay any attention to them. The next day, the nurses told me that my heart rate and blood pressure were so low and that my heart was barely pumping blood. While they were working on me, I was thinking to myself, I had read about astral projection, and I was wondering why I didn't see a cord or anything attaching myself to my body. I could see the park next to the hospital. The trees looked like they had halos. I could see a plane flying over downtown Denver, and when I concentrated on it, I heard murmuring voices that I thought might have been the thoughts of the people on the plane. I was still above the windowsill watching the streetlights, traffic, and everything going on below. I had the thought that if I walked through the glass, that I could go wherever I wanted, and wondered if I had time to go see my family. 
I didn't want to leave, though, because I was afraid that if I left my body for too long, that I wouldn't be able to get back and that I might get lost. I hadn't seen my family for a while, so I didn't know if I would be able to find them either. My life was very chaotic at the time, and I was tempted to leave myself there because I thought that even if I didn't have the money to do anything and no obligations, that I still had my awareness and that I could see the world. But I knew that I would be like a ghost and that people would probably not be able to see me and that I wouldn't have any effect on the world or anyone in it anymore. I didn't see any type of tunnel or light. Everything looked the same as it usually did, except it seemed that I could hear people's thoughts, like a low echo or murmur if I paid any attention to it. Otherwise, everything was silent, and the trees outside seemed to be glowing. While I was thinking, I decided that if I stayed here, that I wanted my life to be different, and that I didn't want to keep on doing the same self-destructive things that I was involved in at the time. I knew that I would be in a lot of pain, but I wasn't scared. I turned back towards my body, and when I had made the firm decision that I wanted to stay here, I was back in my body and woke up in the bed with the doctors and nurses around me. They were preparing to use the paddles on me because they were afraid my heart was going to stop. I didn't really notice how quiet everything was while I was out of my body until I woke up. But as soon as I was back in my body, it was like a flood of sensory information. Everything seemed to be a lot louder and harsher. That is the end of Melanie's experience. Hers is a classic example of an out-of-body experience, and or you might say a bedside near-death experience. And even though it's simple in its content, there's a few bits that I find very interesting. First off, she finds herself out of the body. She's heard of astral projection, and so she's wondering, I wonder why I can't see myself, as in the conscious self that is thinking and seeing at the moment why she couldn't see a body on herself or a cord attached to her body. Now, many people have described such a cord and body and so forth, but she doesn't see anything like that, which is a, you know, it demonstrates that different people's near-death experiences, uh, they have different experiences in terms of what kind of body they have. This sounds a little bit like the conscious intelligence form because there is no apparent spirit body, but she seems very much aware of herself and her family and so forth, which suggests more of the spirit body form. So maybe she's somewhere in between. Maybe she is just so close to her life at the time that uh, she still feels a deep sense of personal identity, which is apparent from her thoughts, um, but she has just not yet progressed to a point where she can see any kind of spirit body in herself. Who knows? Who knows? Very interesting, though. Um, I love when she says that she sees a plane flying over downtown Denver, and when she concentrates on it, 
She could hear murmuring voices, and her first impression is that they might have been the thoughts of the people on the plane. It makes me wonder if she had continued to concentrate, if maybe she would have been aware of the individual um, voices of those thoughts in what they're thinking, what they might be doing at the moment, and so forth. It seems that concentration or attention uh, might be a better way of putting it. Attention seems to be what gives a spirit its ability to um, hear thoughts, feelings, even sometimes the uh, a sense of the history of a thing or whatever. You know, all of that seems to be based on intelligence. I, concentration, she uses the word concentrate, and so I can't deny that, and that may be what it is, but uh, concentration sometimes people have described as being a little bit of a distraction. So, you know, how that works exactly, I'm not sure, but it's, it's kind of interesting. Where their attention or focus lies, where they concentrate their thoughts is where they are able to gain knowledge fairly quickly. Her concern about leaving is interesting because though she, other than saying that she didn't see a tunnel or light, she doesn't describe ever even considering that she may be moving on to another place. She she kind of had this concern that she would, if she were to wander off or go look for, looking for her family, that she might become lost and just kind of become like a ghost in the world. And her concern, whether founded or not, I don't know, but uh, whether but her concern seemed to be centered around her ability to affect the world around her. Uh, she says that uh, she would probably not be able to, the other people probably would not be able to see her, and she would probably not have any effect on the world or anyone in it anymore. Now, to a diehard introvert, that may sound wonderful, <laughs> but, uh, but to those of us with any level of desire to make a difference in the world, that could be a very frightening thought. Not frightening as in scary, but frightening as in tragic. The idea of not being able to have an effect on the people around us. And even that concern seems to be validated further by her concern, or her thoughts. She says, while I was thinking, I decided that if I stayed here, that I wanted my life to be different, and that I didn't want to keep doing the self-destructive things I'd done. I knew it would be a lot of pain, but I wasn't scared. So she decides that she wants to change her life. Now, it's true that a near-death experience can bring on that sense of wanting life to be different. Sometimes it is such a drastic blast of change of perspective that a person is completely disoriented by it for quite some time if they were not prepared for a near-death experience, if they were not spiritual or religious in any way, um, this knowledge of there being an afterlife and, and uh, contact with loved ones and so forth can be so disjarring that, uh, or can be so jarring, sorry, 
and disorienting that uh, it takes them some time to recover. But as they do, they change that perspective and want to change their life and so forth. The interesting thing I see in that is that you and I, you, every one of you listening right now, are in a position to change your life. You're in a position to see, as she does, that she wants her life to be different and that she didn't want to keep doing the self-destructive things that she was involved in at the time. Now, it's a scary thought, the idea of changing. But if there's something in your life, be it your relationships, be it your health, be it your financial or career situation, be it your relationship with your children or other family members, whatever it is that you feel needs to change, not only do you have the power to do it, but you have the ability to foresee the potential change that you have. What I mean by that is that you can, you can decide what kind of life you want to have and you can change it toward that thing. It's not a matter of just reshuffling your life, you know, just moving to another location to see what happens. But it's actually a matter of facing the challenge head on, educating yourself in whatever thing it is that you need to change in your life and becoming possibly a little bit obsessed with that change until it takes place. Because for you, who has struggled with what you've struggled with for so long, anything short of absolute attention. Remember we talked about focus, that when the spirit focuses on something, it gains more and more insight into that thing. Now in the mortal sphere, it doesn't seem as simple as that. I can stare at the, uh, you know, a cup of milk by my desk as long as I want and I'm not going to understand the molecular structure of it simply by staring at it. However, as a physical mortal being, if I need to change something in my life, if let's just say I'm experiencing severe health problems and or or perhaps I am unhealthy in my um, in my health choices and so forth, and I know that I need a change, and I don't quite know what to do. If I concentrate on that, not in any obsessive, um, stressful, anxiety sort of way, but in a, in, a, in a way that says, I am an infinite being with infinite abilities. I'm going to change this. And then taking that determination, that motivation, and saying, I will study everything I need to study. I will read every book I need to read. I will watch every video, every, you know, whatever to educate myself. And as I educate myself, I will implement quickly these changes in order to really turn the gears to something that they've never been before, because this is something that I've needed to change for a long time, perhaps throughout my whole life, you are capable of change in much bigger ways than you think you have. It doesn't take a near-death experience to discover that. Now, those who have near-death experiences almost always discover that through their near-death experiences. But you who are listening now, you're aware 
of the fact that you are a spiritual being with infinite abilities, that with an infinite life before, and you have an infinite life ahead of you. And because you know that, you are aware of the fact that you are capable of change in your life. How long will it take? I have no idea. It might take decades. I don't know. My guess is not. If you put your mind to it, put your focus to it, look at it from an optimistic, persistent, motivational sort of way. I can do this and I'm going to. And you'll be able to change your life for the better. You'll be able to change your relationships for the better. Your health. All different things. Now there are things that won't change for you. And for those with, say, an incurable disease, there's a good chance that won't go away. Now, it's not that it can't. I mean, some people have had that experience of being able to change their lives such that their cancer goes away or whatever. I don't suggest that that's possible for everyone. And I don't want to imply that at all. It's, it's a miracle when that happens. Um, and, and miracles, as, as capable as we are of miracles, um, will not happen to all of us in the way that we want. But what is possible is the changing of our minds and focus in such a way as to change our lives. Even if, say, in the situation of cancer that is not going to go away, you turn your life around and focus and, and study and learn, and you become an instrument of God in delivering a message to those who have cancer in how to cope. Is that not worth it because of what you've learned, because of what you've experienced, because of what you've done with the challenge that you have? So I don't care how unchangeable your situation is. Your actual life can change, and it will if you decide it will. And those of you who have been listening for some time know that I'm not speaking from some pedestal of, of uh, perfection where I have seen this in my own life in, in you know, great degrees, you know, and, and I'm trying to reach down to pull you up. I am on this journey with you. I've talked to you about my financial struggles, career struggles, and I have begun to really deeply focus on them not in a way to become a worldly person or to become materialistic. That's just not who I am. But in a way that is a spiritual thing. If, if I am this infinite spirit with infinite capacities, then the challenges that I face have answers and they have and there's learning to be done from it. And if there's learning to be done, my spirit longs for it. So I'm using that uh, opportunity to develop my spirit by striving for genuine career success, genuine financial success. I'm as deep into the low end of that as, a, as, one, uh, as I ever have been, I should say. And maybe many of you are with the struggles that you're going through. But that's the thing. This life is a journey. We can overcome so much more than we think we can. So anyway, 
If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast. You can also contact either me or John uh, by using our name, Chaz or John, at ndepodcast.org. And whether you contact us or provide some financial support or whatever or not, even if you're just listening, I just want to say your being here, your listening is worth it, worth all of this to me and John. It really, really does mean everything to us. So thank you again, all of you, for listening.